Welcome everyone to Unwritten. I am so excited to welcome this week's guest and I'm very, very grateful that he was willing to be on this podcast and I can't wait to learn more about him. So he is an Olympic champion in the two-man bobsled, which he won at the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. And not only is he an Olympic champion, but he's also a Western grad and an entrepreneur. And so I'm so excited to uh, welcome Alex Kopach. And thank you again for being with me today. Thanks, Thanks very much. So um, can you tell me just a little bit about growing up in London and what led you to your journey as an athlete? Yeah, I think London's been a very interesting city. Um, when you kind of compare it to most across Canada, we seem to have a very strange density of retired athletes that end up being great coaches. Um, me personally, uh, grew up in uh, an you know, immigrant household, so we focused a lot on, you know, just tangible things, working on, you know, trades, learning with your hands, focusing on school. Um, and the only sports I was really kind of allowed to, to do would have been like soccer and swimming. So actually swimming is very dear to me because I, I did it for so many years. Um, the most, like my only claim to fame in like competitive swimming would have just been in high school. Um, and just kind of going from, I had a bit of a lull for swimming between, uh, I think it was grade, I think grade seven to let's say grade nine, right? So then. Okay. Where did you go to high school? Uh, Mother Teresa. Okay. Right. Um, I feel like, like we probably live swimming. like around the corner from each other. Likely. Very likely. <laughs> so wild. Okay. <laughs> and there was a great swimmer. Uh, his name is Paul Quatera. And, um, Camera, there's another uh, Jason. Camera's last name right now. It's escaping me. But anyways, they were they were good swimmers, and I and I felt very compelled to try and like compete against them. And uh, and I remember that we made it to offside with a four by uh, one hundred. Um, I mean, we didn't rank anywhere stellar, but I remember that race and just the sensation of being in a Tokyo, the huge facility, and just you know it was. Uh, Swimming's incredible, and I, I was watching um, the the lead up for for when the, when our girls are going to be swimming and. Um, I'm just telling my business partner how it, the worst part, the worst and the best part about swimming is it's so hard to breathe when you're pushing yourself hard. Yeah. And so you have like this drowning sensation, but you're still burning. And then if you missed yeah. your the one, you've, you've got to hold it to the next opportunity. You can't just stop. And so it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy situation. You can, the sound when you dive in and you hear everybody else kind of like, you're not trying to look, but you kind of can see like, Right. Pretty, yeah. Pretty, like how much more do I have? Did I go too yeah. fast? Anyway, I definitely <laughs> was a even back then I was, my focus was, uh, was football all the time I was in high school, but yeah, so soccer and, and swimming was excellent because as I, as I was getting older, I kept getting bigger. Mm -hmm. um, so in soccer, like I kept kind of getting pushed back towards defense and, 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 and bully, that's usually my position. Um, and then swimming, I was really good at um, freestyle and then uh, butterfly. The butterfly kind of made more ooh, sense. Ooh, I'm a butterflyer too. Yeah. Awesome. I was also going to say, you've heard it here, folks. <laughs> yeah. The Olympic athlete said that swimming is a tough sport. So we're, it's a tough sport. <laughs> and to think about how, how often people are swimming, I mean, like at the top level, like we're talking like what, anywhere between six hours a day? Like yeah, I can't. Yeah. Plus a lot of swimming, a lot of swimming. But anyhow, so then, um, High school is kind of where things kind of really changed for me uh, with regards to kind of developing as an athlete because we had an excellent football program. We also happen to have the right group of guys. Uh, and I think that's yeah. always a big part for any successful team. We we held each other super accountable. And I've always been competing against older groups. I don't know why, just kind of bad luck being born in January, but it was always against the grade eights, when I was in seven and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so, um, come grade nine, um, you know, started to exercise more, uh, lifting weights. I broke my ankle. I had my first surgery. Um, that would have been like September. So essentially my, my football season was written off. Yeah. Um, but I learned a lot about committing to the team because I still showed up every practice. That's, imp that's impressive. That's, that's yeah, a commitment right there. It's also something what, that the just kind of like in, encouraged and rewarded. Yeah. Also, yeah I was going to say sure. what drove you to show up to like, was it your own choice to show up to every practice or yeah. was it like your parents or coaches, it, but it, it was you? My, my own choice, my own choice for sure. Yeah. And it was something that, um, like I said, just the, the culture was right. We, we all kind mm -hmm. of just, there's a lot of respect for that. Um, and I don't think I was the only one that ever did it, um, but I was so devastated I couldn't be a part of it. And actually the worst part, I remember I was at Fowler and there was a resident who at the time of my, my ankle break, 
yeah. told me that basically I wouldn't be able to play sports for the next four years. So imagine that grade nine. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, obviously it wasn't true in the end. I yeah. still turned things around, but I was, I was devastated. I cried so hard on the way home with that, that, that appointment. So um, anyway, so things healed up. And that's where grade nine is like jump back into swimming. And then yeah. the next thing that opened up would have been uh, rowing. So I did a little rowing and then I yeah. did the swimming season. Um, and then summer rolls around, I'm healthy. I was doing a little bit of uh, track. So shop, it was the next thing I focused on. Um, but then come into grade 10, I was significantly stronger. And they boosted me up to the senior team um, because they needed somebody else. Uh, so I played senior football from grade 10 to grade 12. Um, and then again, eclectic throughout the, the off seasons of every sport. I did badminton one year, made it to Wassa with uh, with doubles. I uh, I did, um, well, with track, I made it to Wassa for track uh, many times. Um, but yeah, it was just uh, whatever I could do. And uh, something yeah. we talked at the beginning, it turns out that, you know, this ADHD part is a bit of a superpower, but I always had yeah. to have something happening at all times, right? So yeah, um, yeah coming to the end of uh, high school, with football, we won city finals, we won uh, the OFSA, and uh, we had a lot of people kind of saying, hey, we can get you an offer to go to different universities to play football. And the big thing uh, that I wanted was just to get into engineering. So my parents ended up convincing me to just kind of end it on a high note, um, because honestly, most people don't even get that far with sport. And so I kind of did that and then focused more on school. And so within that first year, uh, almost first two years, um, I still filled my schedule with with all sorts of um, clubs and events and whatever, but um, I still worked out very intensely and religiously. Mm-hmm. And that kind of always kept me, I mean, uh, still maintained my strength, still maintained right. kind of my strength. Kept you sane, right? Absolutely. Kept you Absolutely. and kept, kept that balance probably through that time Absolutely. of in, like of schooling, which can be really intense. You bet, you bet. And um, the, the funniest thing is I, prior to committing to another sport again, um, I had a terrible time my first two years, actually. It was very miserable. And uh, so in the second year, um, I ended up coming across a former discus uh, Olympian, uh, Jason Tunks. And um, he basically, in his gym, um, he has a bunch of records up on the wall. And um, uh, me and a friend of mine back then, we were just working out together. And started doing deadlifts and, and, you know, we're kind of just, we're just kind of going, going, and it's just, it's just going well. And, and then, you know, I'm looking at the thing on the board and, and uh, he says to me, like, do you think you can, you can crack that? I'm like, I don't know, let's try. And so we just kind of kept going. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then eventually sure enough, I get, and so he kind of get, uh, he sends a video to, um, to Jason and then Jason kind of gets in touch with me and says, what are you, who are you? What do you do? Are you yeah. Whatever. And I'm like, Nope. He's like, I just work <laughs> out when I want to. Yeah. Like, doing something. <laughs> You're going to yeah. be a thrower and I'm going to teach you. And I'm like, yeah, right. so that sure. Yeah. And uh, awesome. I was the from my third year to fourth year officially. Um, and the first year was so crazy. It was, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't even begin to pretend that I was a super contributor. I, I came 12th at uh, CIs, but uh, we were part of the That is still really impressive though. Championship That's still- team. So yes. yeah, we won That's that. Incredible. So it's, it, it's funny how, how a lot of sporting successes kind of followed me in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but then kind of through there, I would just sprint against the sprinters just for fun at the end of my workouts. I mean, I was, I, I like competing. It's like playing. I like playing. And um, yeah, I, I've always found it so fun to be able to do multiple things at once and kind of impress people with the athleticism, especially at the size and the strength. Be also quick. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, there was a purple and white meet and I've ended up beating the majority of the sprinters. I was in the, the final heat, the final eight. So I'd say compared to most universities and stuff, uh, a person could say that is shameful or they would go, well, that guy's a freak. So depends on which way a person wants to yeah. I prefer the freak road. Yeah, I was going to say, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, it's like a backhanded compliment slash yeah. a good little, yeah, like you're, you're an athlete, you're good. So it was, it was fun. I mean, at my heaviest, I was uh, around 280 pounds and uh, I was running the 60 meter in 7.2 something seconds. And uh, I did a four by 200 relay because I needed somebody. Um, <laughs> almost killed me, but I ran that in 23 seconds. Um, and that's when people said, okay, you have more, right? Yeah. Like you, you get close to football. And then someone kind of whispered uh, bobsled into my ear. And But I was kind of weighing between the two because I had an opportunity to play fullback for Western. 
because um, it's a whole sport to relearn at that point right, right? I mean, yeah mm-hmm. instincts the play yeah and a whole culture like some people spend their whole lives learning how to play a sport to get to that level and Absolutely. to have to be sometimes to be thrown into it right like each each sport is so different and the little almost idiosyncrasies behind mm-hmm. each one you know talking to even talking to other varsity athletes you meet kind of along the way they'll go oh you know this like squash or skiing or Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And I had, I go, I had no idea that was a thing. I had, I didn't, I didn't know, or I didn't know how, I didn't know how long those, the competitions last or how long a match lasts and lasts. And yeah, so that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So basically between the two, I thought it was more efficient to focus on bobsled because all I had to do was become even stronger and a little bit faster Mm -hmm. and I had to lose a lot of weight. So that was also kind of a fun challenge. Um, and I figured, okay, it's, it's, a, it's a singular task. Like, yeah, there's a lot to it, but like you go as hard and fast as you can in this direction and you have to successfully jump in. I figured yeah. I could get my head around that. So anyhow, all of that came from London. So yeah. that's why I say that London is a very strange place because you can find some pretty incredible coaching. Yeah. And we get quite good exposure to a lot of competitive athletes across a lot of yeah. fields. Um, kind of like in football, uh, whoever won cities in London ended up winning also. Um, yeah. So it's just kind of, you know, we always just knew. But uh, I also imagine we weren't exposed to some of the other excellent football schools that were maybe part of the GTA. And I, I don't know how they split up all the boundaries. Yeah, with, uh, yeah. And all that, but anyhow. Yeah, that is really incredible. Well, there were, the first thing that I think is really fascinating about your story is how diverse your athletic background is. And the fact that you're like, I played soccer and I swam and then I played badminton. And I think so few people like growing up have that really like that wide range of athletics and like what a background like that. I feel like all of that probably prepared you for, to, for who the athlete you were going to become. Because, you know, having that and also cultivating that joy of athletics and that that fun, which you were talking about before, you said, I just love to I just love to sprint beside the sprinters because it was fun. And if you didn't think it was fun and you didn't like that competition, then would you have raced that? Would you have raced that race? Probably not. Then what that wouldn't have taken you to where you are. So I think that that's that's incredible. No, I appreciate that. And when parents ask me with regards to their kids and when I, I always promote multidisciplinary sports yeah. I mean there's something to be said that if you're if you're just a hockey player then it's better to just be a hockey player but even hockey players they, they play something else in the summertime they'll do baseball yeah. or whatever. it doesn't really matter but yeah. having that um that added stimulus it helps train other muscles in different ways works on your coordination because coordination in, in general is, is an understanding of one's balance point yeah so yeah. grade school prior to some of those other sports, uh, because I was at the grade school I was at, I, I did gymnastics, um, I did volleyball, I did basketball, um, wasn't able to do all those, of course, in, in high school, because it was just the yeah. amount of time, but yeah. all of that teaches a person how to just be a good athlete, and all that is to say, where is your balance point at any given position? And yeah. if you know where that is, and you can feel secure in that, you're able to apply whatever you need to have a good forehand, backhand, a good shot, yeah. a good jump, a good tackle, whatever. Yeah. And it just, yeah, I was going to say just like learning how to move your body as an athlete is so important. Like just so important as like in any sport, as you were saying, like it's very, uh, you can, you can convert it to any, kind of any which direction you, you want it to go. Um, and then the second thing I thought of, um, I've read like Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. I don't know if you've read it before yes, I have, or heard I have. of it, but it just interested me that you said you had an early uh, January birthday. Yeah. And in the book, it's all most, it's like the, the majority of NHL athletes are born between like basically the first third of like in the first third of the year. So like mm-hmm. January, February, March, April because they all have this advantage that they're usually just a little bit bigger, a little bit more mature. And when you go, you know, that year when you're young makes all like the difference. And then from there, it kind of, they pick select those people and it's like, okay, you guys get to have the extra opportunities and you guys get this little, maybe more attention. And then now you look at the statistics of the birthdays in the NHL and it's again, January, February, March, April, And it's like a scattering of like October's or like December's and, you know, August. And I just, I think that's really funny though, that, I mean, you're the athlete, 
you're the athlete you are not necessarily because you were born in January, but just a, just some a funny observation. No, but, I was like, that's so was, cool. Honestly, I will say there's a lot to be said to that because it, in my case, however, I was always pushed to the older kids. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so there, there were, so I would say the athletes that were, uh, I mean, I, I have to really think really fast. I mean, I think the ones that were more like October, December ish, yeah. the, the year above, because of their birthday, were allowed to compete against like the younger kids. So to yeah. speak, so, you know, like definitely being put into a more competitive environment is always uh, a huge advantage. Yeah. Now, if you're playing a sport and you're just dominating everybody, yeah, then that's also it looks good on you and people want to yeah. keep pushing forward. But yeah, I think it's maybe you need a balance I, of them both, right? You, you need you that it, push. It's too easy. Yeah. By the time you get to a proper age, you kind of peter out, you're bored, you think you're all that, and then everyone else yeah. kind of passes you. You go, yeah. well, if I wanted to, I could have, you know, like. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> if I wanted to, I could have. Oh, that's so funny. No, that, yeah, it's it's so interesting that just that how, how that works. But no, for sure, because I was going to say, I have, a, I have a late birthday, and, you, you know, I always got, I always used to say, I have the best birthday for swimming because kind of the season starts in September and then kind of is like September until like whatever, August or the next September. And so all of, depending on the competitions or whatnot, that's just the way it goes. It's like, you want to age up in like September, October. So I was like, perfect October birthday. That's the best. You like, once I turn like whatever, 13 this year, I'm 13 the whole swim season. And I never have to worry about aging up, but it is interesting. Right. Because, you know, people like just how that changes and how that competition can affect even your your mental I always say every mind over matter for everything I'm like it's a, right. yeah whether you think you can or can't you're right that that's quote right. That's whatever it. That's right exactly, that's exactly it yeah <laughs> exactly so kind of I guess taking a step back from athletics you're also mm-hmm. like a entrepreneur and an engineer so what made you pursue engineering and what makes you passionate about engineering? And does that have to, co- does that correlate at all to your passion for athletics? Um, well, I'd say like, just to, to, to go backwards, I suppose, uh, engineering and, and physics definitely helped me be a better athlete. Um, yeah. As there's something to be said about understanding the dynamics of a system. And so if you're trying to make yourself a better athlete, and let's say my earlier years, I, I didn't really get like a tremendous amount of attention because I was a you know, young kid, nobody from a small town. Um, you have to do the most you can with your own problem solving ability. And um, I ended up kind of developing a different way to, to, to push. And so in the scope of bobsled, I, I understood that it needed to be a power output thing as opposed to, well, how fast do you sprint? Well, how much do you lift? It's, there's a lot of things that you end up realizing is just too one dimensional because it's simple. And a lot of people can handle a simple idea. Um, but if you're really trying to get the most out of it, I mean, uh, let's let's just kind of explore swimming for a brief moment. I mean, you have an angular momentum happening through this oscillation, and through that, you have I I assume it counts a little bit of um, maybe not a buoyancy effect, but there is definitely force being applied to the water this way, which probably helps with your buoyancy. But if you're twisting as you reach out, just like when you sprint, you have your core that can still add quite a lot into the pull as you pull across. You end up probably getting an extra six inches of, of pull if you can make an effective twist yeah. with respect to your hips. And it's no different in running. And it, it, it's sprinting, yeah. you, if, you, if your hips are, too, are stuck, you, you can't get as long of a step as you might want or need, depending whether it's the start phase, the drive phase, and, and yeah. beyond it. In bobsled, it's all about having as long time on the ground as you can. And so that ended up forcing, so let's say my shoulders are my hips, I ended up having my hips pump quite a lot. Yeah. So I would use all my, my core, my, you're just trying to find ways to get more out of your system. It's like Formula One. The person that takes all the horsepower from the engine and applies it to all four tires wins. Yeah. Because you lose it in every little piece, every little mechanism. So how can we keep it so it goes 100% to the ground? That's That's the key. Um, I guess I always wanted to be an engineer because I was kind of told to be an engineer. It's not that I was forced, but I was always tinkering, playing with yeah. things, building things. Oh, here's an invention. What if I, what if this, what if I could, you know, like, oh, you'd be a great engineer. Well, what kind of an engineer? I'm mechanical. Like, okay. <laughs> Probably um, that, you know, keeping you busy too, as, as you talked about, you know. Um, I play with connects all the yeah. time. Um, not much of a Legos guy back then, connects because it moved. Yeah. I could stuff with yeah. it. The framework was cool. Um, yeah, I always imagined that I'd do something with like 
machines, you know, yeah. building devices and stuff. And um, and in my later years, once I was an undergrad, I was able, I was very, very privileged to be able to work at uh, Robarts Research, um, doing all sorts of prototyping yeah. and, and things like this. And um, yeah, and then I was exposed to 3D printing uh, back then. So yeah. added manufacturing became kind of new on the radar. And, and um, you know, it was a part of a one research paper that was that was cool with like how to calibrate these types of machines because they have a bunch of lasers and stuff that they're trying to you know melt metal and stuff to make these cool shapes. Um, and that kind of always was kept in the back of my head because it allows such freedom to your design. Yeah. So uh, pretty much everything I did was to try and become as effective of an engineer prior to sport jumping in. Yeah. Um, I was one of the first groups to, I was the first group like me and, and, and my, my colleagues then uh, to go to Fanshawe in between our second year of engineering and third year for a full year to do yeah. like a practicum to learn how to do welding, machining, uh, metallurgy, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's really how, cool. That's yeah. Wanted, you know, in that direction. So um, yeah, and to apply it to, yeah. to kind of that application of what you were learning. Absolutely. Um, so then, kind of in bobsled, bobsled there's a metallurgical component because of the the metal runners. Then there's a yeah. mechanical component with the whole system of the sled. And then, of course, you as the athlete and how do you interact with that whole thing, the aerodynamics, and like there's there's quite a lot to think about uh, material properties with, with regards to ice. Um, so, so yeah, and then so what I found was really great about expressing myself as an athlete is it, it showed me how much I could do if I was motivated on a singular purpose. Yeah. I found school for me after a while, I didn't really have a clean purpose. Yeah. And, um, engineering at Western, although it's great to give you such a broad, uh, exposure to the world of engineering, because come like my fourth year, um, I was doing stuff like nuclear and, and, and like just, just seeing how these different things work, but I had no focal point. Yeah. So I lost the drive, the motivation. Yeah. You know, no, for yeah. sure. You do it out of duty. But when yeah. I had the purpose of trying to make the Olympics, it, it really sharpened me quite a lot to, you know, every single day I woke up, I had something else that I was thinking that I could do or work on or, oh, today yeah. the gym's closed here. I'll drive. Where's the nearest one? It yeah. didn't matter how far it was. I was just simply going to do it. Yeah. Um, I moved to Germany. Uh, I had to learn the language within my first summer. Um, there was just things that I just started tackling as a matter of course, because I wasn't going to let it stop me from getting to my goal. Yeah. And so did you, because you, I know, because we were talking before we started recording, but you said that you lived in Germany for engineer, like to, uh, for your degree as well. And then yes. did you live there because of Bob, like because of like your sport, like because of bobsled? Oh, yeah. Wow, so, okay. So I was there initially for, to finish up my physics degree. And then while I was there, I was, I was realizing it, it just, it wasn't gonna work to try and communicate with the coaching staff here and whatnot. And I figured, well, I'll be back again. I might as well find A, a personal coach because I needed that anyways. Yeah. Yeah. B, I might as well try to link up with some of the European teams. Because by yeah. the end of my first bobsled season, I made a lot of friends in the international community, which was yeah. fantastic. I think it's one of the best parts about sport. The people yeah. get to that's one hundred percent. So then I was I was living out there, and I connected with the with the coach uh, Olaf Hampel, and he became the one who the man who changed my life ultimately. Um, and so I um, ended up living uh, in his uh, in his city, and so that that was in the south of Germany, um, in Bavaria. School for me at the time was. Um, closer to Frankfurt, a city called Karlsruhe. And um, yeah, for the first summer, I had to commute three and a half hours every weekend down with the train to go see him, train twice a day, go back, you know, to have my regular school days. And then once that was done, I focused just on sport and, and I lived there kind of for, for most, yeah. of my, most of my years. Um, and that was also great because I got to see, uh, I mean, I, yes, it's a different way of life, but like the way they think, the way they solve problems, the way they approach things, it's it made sense to me and it and showed yeah. me that um yeah you always need a plan but the hardest part for most people is to actually act on the plan and so if you don't actually start yes. making little right. moves and chipping away yeah. then it's hard to kind of achieve a goal so yeah yeah um and while i was there i was exposed to so many different methods and techniques and technologies that at the end of it all it's like why am i so unhappy working uh, in a nine to five situation yeah well, probably because I was exposed to sport for too long. And so then what does a person do? Well, the next most similar thing would truly be to be an entrepreneur and, and try and strike out on your own. And so yeah. um, I kept in touch with an old high school friend of mine 
and and now we're 50-50 partners in this uh, in our company Step Sciences, and it's been an amazing journey. And we've we've had to do things that truly are very similar to sport. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, stay up late. Why? Because you have to find a car to drive to another city because you have a meeting the next day. It was yeah. the last thing someone told you is so what are you going to do? Let the opportunity slip? No. Yeah. We'll make it. You what are you going to do? And how are you going <laughs> to, how are you going to create that opportunity for yourself? Yeah. That's right. I think, yeah, it, it really, again, I'm, I'm, I kind of, I love to read. I, I'm always reading different books, but one of my favorite books um, is by Angela Duckworth. It's called Grit. If, again, if you've ever heard of it. Um, so that I, I read it a few years ago and I was like, this, this is what makes sense. Like, it's like, this is an equation for like how to basically how to be successful. And I understand, Mm -hmm. but the the same way you're talking about like school and your education is, you know, it's so passion. Basically what Angela Duckworth explains as grit is the basically single most variable that helps to define like to, to see if someone's going to be successful and how successful they are in their field. And so she also says like passion and perseverance is going to equals grit. And so if you're passionate about something and you're willing to commit for, to it for, for a long time, you are going to see long-term success. And the same way you're talking is if you don't have that passion and you don't have that kind of willingness to make something work or train for three hours or find that car to drive to the meeting, then, you know, those are the things that separate the like excellence from okays. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think that is really interesting because if you're not, you know, it's the same way you could see your motivation fluctuate based off of how, how eager and how, how, you know, how committed to what you were doing was. Um, and yeah, so clear and clearly now, you know, that's gotten to you, you to the point where, you know, you can apply your, your knowledge and what you want to do, but you've created your own, you've created your own path and created your own motivation for that. And now, you know, totally. it's, it's got, gotten you really far. And so. I, I tell people sometimes that I, I could be selling socks for all I care. I'd be yeah. thrilled. It just, yeah. the whole thing feels like sport and it makes yeah. sense. And I, I strongly encourage people to get a head start on their own self-discovery, yeah. who they are, how they think, how they tick. Um, I had a very hard time after the Olympics with uh, a lot of mental health troubles and uh, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of aches and pains and surgeries that were had. Um, yeah. But in yeah. those times, I was able to link up with some good therapists that gave me some excellent insight into, or helped me gain my own insight into yeah. um, I am and what I like and what I don't like and what motivates me and what triggers me and all these kind of concepts. And it's very important to know that because then you can help guide yourself towards what is going to suit your, your uh, brand of damaged. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And then through that, you can actually grow tremendously because it just, if things align with the way you are, I mean, like we've laughed about the, the whole ADHD connection and, and, yeah. and the sporting and stuff like that. Like I would need something that is very stimulating daily things that are changing and all the time because otherwise if it's predictable I, I get truly bored and I switch off I start yeah. cutting corners I start getting lazy I start kind of and there's nothing to do with like it's not that I don't have pride in work it's yeah it's just it, it takes the, the the life out of it yeah so and also you, you know that about and that, that it's good that you know yeah. that about yourself because you know what works for you is, is not going to work for necessarily me or or another person and it doesn't necessarily you know it doesn't make you not passionate about it doesn't make you not motivated it just mm-hmm. that's not what you were meant to do and that's not how you are as a person Absolutely. and well I also I guess was like really appreciate you sharing you know I've you know you hear a lot about that kind of that post-olympic mm-hmm. um I've heard like kind of like the term like post-Olympic depression. I'm actually reading, I don't know if you know Alexi Pappas, if like you recognize the name. She was a Olympic, um, a runner, a Greek American Olympic runner. And she just published a book about her experiences as kind of as an athlete and whatnot. And she like goes into a lot of depth about her kind of post-Olympic journey. And just, I'm, I'm interested if you're willing to share kind of what kind of how how what that looked like for you and like what you found most difficult about the transition going from this huge high of obviously being an Olympic champion to then having to find this new maybe outlet or this new life absolutely uh finding another purpose that was the worst part and it's not to say that my identity as an athlete was destroyed because I mean I was only in in 
an Olympic level sport for five years. But achieving the thing that you're grinding away for, it's weird. Yeah. Because there was a couple of things that kind of struck me. And, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people may not even like the way I say this, but it just, I got it. And I'm like, is that it? Yeah. You know? And then you have like, there's, there's layers to it. So I'm, I'm going to speak from the perspective of where I was when I was struggling mentally. It felt like there was truly no purpose for it. Like nobody really cared. It's not like I had any, any big support going into it. Didn't have a ton afterwards. Sure. There was a little bit more attention and whatnot, but everybody just wanted to hear how beautiful and amazing and perfect and shiny the story was. Yeah. And I started kind of struggling with the fact that I had to, I had to put on the happy version. Yeah. But because I knew that's what they wanted. And if I didn't yeah. give that, they're kind of like, well, what are you so ungrateful for? And it's like, well, man, like, I'm human. It's like, it's I'm human, traumatic, you know? It's yeah. Experience being an Olympic yeah. athlete. No, there's no way around it. Like you hurt yourself to ridiculous levels. You tolerate ridiculous amounts of, I'll just say loosely political abuses. Yeah. And then, and then you, you end up getting spit out on the other side and, and then that's it. You're done. And no one really wants to look back and, and not that they should, I'm not suggesting that I, that yeah. everybody should be banging on my door and, and, and worshiping uh, everything I do. But uh, it's, it's a weird juxtaposition because you ask a kid, what do they think would happen if they won a gold medal? A lot of them will probably say that their lives will be changed forever. Now, mine has been changed forever, yeah. but it's not like there was parades or cereal boxes and stuff like this. It just, it was. And it, it was that way because it was unexpected. Yeah. It was, you know, I was thrilled that I went. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't like, like, oh yeah, I'm getting a gold or nothing. Like, like, yeah, I was going to do my absolute best. I'm a very competitive guy and, and there's no way that I wasn't going to give it everything I had, but it kind of just left you like, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah. We did it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and it was just really difficult with, with handling. Uh, there was not really any medical support to, to heal afterwards. I, I had <laughs> so many, so many injuries to, to, to process. And then of course, the mental health stuff is also on you. Um, and uh, there's another, uh, you know, and then there's the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Where, um, as I'm sure uh, you're aware, and a lot of people may have been, uh, we tied for gold. Yeah well if it was the other guy it would have been a gold outright well you know he he didn't uh, peak when he was supposed to well you know and i'm thinking like did i screw something up like did i and it's just like you do the debrief with your with your team and they're like you underperformed and i'm like what i won the gold medal <laughs> what do you mean you say that to me in spite of every hurdle you guys put in my way we achieved this you know and it's like so you're left with this rage uh, potential shame, uh, the awkwardness of like, yeah, I guess it's pretty cool, guys. And it's just like, I don't even know, should I hold it? Should I leave it in my house? Should I hide it? People used to always, people still do actually, they remind me to bring it places because I'll just leave it at home and I won't even bring it up. Yeah, I was going to say, where do you, like, where do you keep it? Where, like, is it, do you have it hung up? It. Do you keep yeah, it? Yeah, or... I leave it on a table so it's visible because I, okay. I think it's important to me as a, as a self reminder. Um, yeah. Because I, it's a healthier thing to do. Yeah. Um, so, so that's definitely a piece where it's like, I'm learning, I've learned to celebrate the successes and to, to build from it. And kind of what pushed me into being an entrepreneur was um, a, an amazing man out here. Um, he, one of these kind of uh, entrepreneur kind of oil tycoon types. And he said to me, if this is the last thing you do in your life, that'll be a tragedy. And wow. Totally shifted everything. Literally from that yeah. day forward, I started thinking, okay, well now what do I do with this? Now how do I make this like is this a million dollar ticket? Like what do I like? And I yeah. had like this 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 totally different drive because I was definitely left with like purpose finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else am I supposed to do with my life? Like is yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's like, is is that it? Um and well, obviously it wasn't, and you've done so much more clearly and are now helping other athletes achieve their goals and their dreams. But that, yeah, that is, that's really fascinating about like, who, who did you find like at the point where you felt like kind of, maybe it was like this kind of it, like, for lack of a better term, maybe like this, like rock bottom for you post Olympics, what was who, or what was something that really kind of helped, helped you start on your journey to kind of find that that balance find that that more 
stable ground, I guess. Mm. My German coach was a big piece of that, actually. Um, He's always just been like a voice of reason, calm. Um, So that was always great. Um, Ex-girlfriend at the time was also very, very helpful. I mean, like, as you can imagine, when you're with a partner, they kind of take the brunt of all that. So, yeah, yeah, my family's very supportive, but they're also kind of like, they're just like, oh, like, I don't know what else you're going to do, but you're going to do it. Like, they kind of don't know push me in a direction they just worry that I'll blow up um but they did the best they could just being supportive and, and caring and patient and stuff like that um but definitely this this the gentleman out here in Alberta and uh um yeah it just it was a matter of time and then the, the pandemic yeah. actually was like a rude awakening where yeah. that's when, that's it I'm doing this yeah because it's like a situation where like I'll be damned if someone else can control my my path ever again yeah you know you're controlled as an athlete and your control as employee and it's just like no nah, that's the last one that's yeah. it. i'm gonna do my own way now and yeah. um so it was just it was a combination i mean definitely like getting the right medication was great um the right therapist the right doctors the right you know the strangers that give you just that word uh, just kind of right yeah your perspective just enough you know so yeah. yeah you know all in in it's uh I'm happy it's led me to here. That's amazing. Yeah. I know it's crazy when you kind of when you're in it, it's, it's like how it's hard, you know, it's hard to see where that kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's really just kind of that one foot in front of the other. Um, I just, again, I was like, I was reading the other day. um, And I, it was basically saying, if you keep basically walking in circles in a forest, you're never gonna, you're never gonna get out of it. But if you start walking straight in one direction, just one foot in front of the other, you're probably, you're eventually going to find a road and that's, you know, you're going to, and that's going to take you somewhere else. And I, I just really like that analogy is just kind of keep moving forward and you're, you're, you're going to find, you're going to find that thing that's going to, that's going to help you and keep moving you along. Um, so I find, yeah, that, that's really, really awesome. And so again, segue, <laughs> segue, you talked about kind of your experience through the pandemic. And I know that you have been very vocal about your experience having COVID. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you also wanted to speak on even what that experience provided mm-hmm. for you, if, if that was, again, another kind of awakening to go, whoa, this changed my perspective on, on life, on how mm-hmm. I want to how I want to live, what I want to do with the company, et cetera. Absolutely. I, I mean, uh, getting life-threatening experiences are, are just, you, you definitely get overwhelmed with uh, random memories from the past, from songs that maybe your mom sang or whatever. It's a very yeah. emotional thing. And um, uh, I think the, the hardest the hardest part for me to understand was basically just to kind of, you know, kind of reevaluate it. Like, what have you done to that point in your life? Because if that's how it ended, um, was it enough? Yeah. If you've done more, should you have done more? Uh, so sometimes in a space where, I mean, it's just kind of like, a, it's not that I'm that different, but it's definitely amplified some of the things that I, I was doing or the way that I was before. I mean, I, I, I love helping people. Yeah. And sometimes I do it maybe too often to the detriment of my personal energy, but um, I just, any chance there's a, a any, in terms of moments to, to connect somebody to someone that will help them or, or whatever. Like I, I, I do it freely. I'll, I'll, I'll pitch in randomly for, for things. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's just that things are so short. Um, I like meeting up with people with, with, without a, it doesn't it just sit down. You get to know somebody for a yeah. moment. I'll, I'll take that time because you never know what you're, who you're going to meet. Like the, the thrill to travel, being outside, you know, just there's so much to value and it can be snatched away so quickly. And, uh, and kind of on the back end of all that, the only reason that I was kind of pushed out in the media, maybe it would have happened anyways. I don't know. But yeah. um, one of the friends I was saying goodbye to, um, they knew some people in CBC and said, Alex, we think you should really, you know, if you can muster up the energy, like tell them because yeah. people need to hear this. And um, so then I said, okay, if it's the last thing I did, then so be it. Hopefully it helps somebody to like yeah. avoid this kind of a, a tragedy. So 
Um, but I was thrilled that uh, the hospital, you know, they, they, they were very quick on their feet and they made some excellent decisions and an experimental drug kind of helped pull me through. And then on the back end of that, I then developed a lot of clots and that was kind of also a, a terrifying, painful experience. Um, but all in, it's like, you know, just there's more compassion for people, you know, because they, you don't know what a person is going through or not going through. I find a lot of people that haven't experienced pain have a very hard time empathizing with people in pain. Yeah. And that's a very weird thing to experience. I mean, there's moments where, um, like even in the hospital scenarios where it's like a person's like, yeah, I don't think you're that much pain. And I'm like, I'm telling you, this is the worst pain I've ever felt in my life, my life. Yeah. And I need you to imagine for a second that everything that I've done has required me to ignore pain. And I'm telling you, I can't tolerate this. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I think everyone needs, needs to take a break and kind of get re, re in touch with their humanity and not lose that because if you become yeah. robotic and suffering is meaningless to you, then it's like, what's the purpose? I mean, no, I think that's really fascinating. And I know even, well, even contacting you and going, Hey, do you want to be on a podcast? And you know, this kind of basically random person has reached out to me and just how quick and willing you were to, you were to do that was like actually really touched me and that's yeah that, and I think it obviously ha you have showed me personally an incredible amount of compassion and kindness so you are putting kind of that you know that purpose and that into practice so you you know you're doing it as I guess if that is any like consolation to you know who who and who you're trying to be and what you're trying to do for the world so uh, yeah it is really it's really incredible thank you very much for saying so yeah so I think that we're going to come, I have a few kind of quick little questions to sure. close it. That was kind of a little, that was like a dramatic ending. We were just like really into it, um, but to on maybe a little bit of a lighter note, maybe not. We'll see yeah. where they take totally. us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rapid questions is subjective. So, um, but so the first question I have is who are, um, three people if that that could either be a large number or a small number you feel have most greatly impacted your life or are impacting your life right right now yeah um, my coach olaf um my business partner matt um to pull the third goodness it should come faster with my head um I'm going to say back during those training days, my, uh, my training partner, Joey, his name is Joey Nemeth. He impacted me huge. And it was actually a lot, a lot to do with him that I kept my, kept myself sane during that whole yeah. Olympic year. That's incredible. I know again, the power of the power of people and compassion yeah. and connection. That's what, you know, brings us through. Um, so on to books, what do you have a favorite book or a favorite like current or recent read? Ooh, I've been gone. I've gone through so many audiobooks in the last while. Um, Are you? Do you like audiobooks or like? Yeah, it's usually like when I'm walking. Um, like if I have if I have the time to sit and focus on reading, then you know, um, my cousin uh, sent me a book called Aragorn, um, that you know, dragon. Yeah, thing. yeah. I think one of my favorite like all time reads, um, an older classic, being like Lord of the Rings like series, including The Hobbit and all that. That was really great. But I read that when I was in grade school. Um, Harry Potter, Timeless, um, Game of Thrones, the book. Yeah. Um, I think The Courage to be Disliked is an excellent book, like self-discovery and like realizing how you can choose not to be so upset about things. Um, I think in general, uh, everyone should at least read some, if not all, of uh, Nietzsche's work. I think there's quite a lot of really interesting insight as to what it means to sort out your own morality, your own ethics, your own, is it, it's not to say that you end up shying away from what society deems is acceptable, but there's moments where it's like, someone tells you don't do that. And you're like, why was you not supposed to? And then you do it. And then you, you have an opportunity in that moment to kind of go, well, do I think it was wrong? Should I do that? Should I not do that? And the more you kind of wake that up, it's something that we all have and it's how communities are able to be communities because we all agree on mutually acceptable rules. Yeah. And uh, I found a lot of, a lot of stuff was compelling. Um, yeah, I, haven't uh, read, I haven't read 
any that I'm gonna like submit this large like indigo order after being like okay I'm reading it <laughs> on audible um, yeah. and I'll get back to you on that yeah. There's a, but just there's been a lot of stuff where a friend of mine uh, is is a philosophy, he's a PhD and all that. So I just kind of asked him like, hey, like where where should I kind of begin? And so um, I just started just kind of consuming uh, as much stuff as possible. Yeah, there's like some of the ones that we talked about, grits and, and whatnot, and like uh, um, you can't hurt me is another good one. I mean, it's it's super intense because like it's like the guy's like almost like cartoonishly a slave for pain and like the way he kind of pushes the limits are incredible. But David Goggins is a, a hero of our times for sure. Um, but I think, I think what you end up finding is if you read some of the classics, um, the old philosophers and stuff, you'll hear any of the modern day books and self-help and whatever you pick, they use a lot of these themes because these themes are not new or novel to being a human being. And that's what I found so incredible reading, um, at the time, like I literally went through all of this stuff, uh, Nietzsche stuff, kind of within like a month. And I went, my God, like, I've heard of this idea before. Uh, that's from this. And like, that's from that book. And it's just kind of like the fact that someone was able to articulate that hundreds of years ago um, kind of, sort of makes you makes you want to think maybe you should dig further back, like Seneca and some of the other like older Greek philosophers and stuff. And it's all of it's, it's worth all of it's worth reading. Um, yeah. but where's the time? And you find the time. So yeah. I find cool. Uh, there's a bunch of apps where you can like summarize books um, and they're still done in an audio fashion because sometimes all you need is like the, the five gist. main points. Like, like, give me the gist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll be like, what apps? I'm the same way. I'm like, I love, like, I just got this like basically, yeah, audio book app. Mm. And I'm like, but when they're like 10 hours of listening time, I was like, oh my God. I speed it up. I always go 1.5 times at least. Yeah, I'm the person that's like listening. I think just in general, I'm a fast talker and I can understand other people who are fast talkers. So it was like two, I'm like two times the speed. I get it. And people will either, if they're, if I'm listening even to a lecture this year, obviously because everything was online, I'd be listening to everything at two times the speed. And they're Mm -hmm. like, you understand what they're saying? I was like, yeah, I'm just going along. This is, this is how it works. Yeah, it helps. I'm like, you're cutting that time in half. Got to be efficient. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so we talked about books, but do you have a most, if you watch TV or movies, mm. do you have a most recent TV binge or movie recommendation? Oh, I'd say, handedly, The Tomorrow War. That was an awesome movie. Okay. Super awesome movie, yeah. Okay, I've not, I that's like for me I'm like I do not watch consume a lot of tv or yeah. movies and I'm I'm up with my my family here and like my cousins and my aunt and aunt and uncle and every time we'd be like okay let's watch a movie they're like what do you want to watch I was like I don't know like have you watched this no have you watched this no and I'm yeah. like you could put on probably anything and yeah. I probably haven't watched it so it's good if anyone needs to watch a movie with me it's perfect because it's always, it's <laughs> always new. kind of a novelty for me <laughs> yeah um and so I know so you're in Calgary right now but mm-hmm. so what is your favorite thing to do in Calgary but also what is your favorite thing to do when you're in London well in either case just being outside whether it's like over here, trying to get to the mountains, the riverside, um, surrounding countryside is great. Um, in London, same thing, just try to get in the, the woods, the trees, the rivers, lakes. Um, that's kind of where I feel the best. Yeah, is there is there a particular um, trail or place in London that you like to go? I'm, I'm not familiar with Calgary at all and directionally. I'd say so. you know, a, really, a really good one would be like uh, Cane's Woods. Yes, that that's I like that one. Yeah, there's so many different ones where you can just kind of start at a place and just meander through whether it's like a deer track or whatever. Uh, I tend to try and find places that are not full of people. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. I, I wish I had that skill. I'm yeah, I'm very, I'm not super directionally competent, I guess. Um, I can get lost really easily. So I'm like, I need to be where I can see people in front of me. And if there's yeah. someone behind me, they can lead me to the right direction. Right, if I'm right, lost. Right. Um, or I, I literally use my GPS to get around London, even though I've been living there my whole life, which uh, I, it I do sometimes. yeah, to each their own. Um, okay. And then last question is mm. what is a goal you have for the next year? Well, I, I'd say like, um, 
just to have a, a very established and functional presence for, for the company that we started. I think it'd be amazing to have a series of, of, of groups that are happy with our product that we can kind of, you know, say, look, here's the body of work that we've done so far. And then to be able to then use that platform to jump off and maybe start something else. Um, I'd, I'd love to be involved with as many projects as possible. Yeah. I also don't think we've mentioned, but do you want to quickly explain for everyone who hopefully listens what yeah. your company actually does too as like a finisher? Yeah. <laughs> so we're, might, um, might be we're, important information. <laughs> yeah, our, our, our definition is we're, we're definitely a, a tech slash medical device company. And uh, the primary driving product that we're offering right now are uh, sensory motor insoles. And that's to say we're taking a classic idea of, uh, of what an orthotic is using modern day manufacturing with scanning to get more accurate models of your feet and applying a lot of German know-how uh, to actually get more muscle activity out of your foot. And that vis-a-vis -vis helps the muscle activity up the chain. So instead of putting your foot into a fixed position with a classic hard orthotic, um, we're influencing your foot to retain its own position um, no different than saying I'm wearing uh, braces. So it's like Invisalign that you could apply to people as young as five years old. I mean, that's a hard sell in Canada for now, but yeah. in time, I hope we'll have enough data to say, look, if you invested this much, you'd save this much down the road with a healthier uh, population because Germany's thinking that way. And um, I think there's a lot to be said about uh, countries that invest uh, in the future. Right. So. Proactive versus reactive. You want to be going upstream and preventing people from falling in versus like, oh, you know, let's just take them out of the water. Yeah. Um, that kind of analogy. No, that's that's really interesting and really important. And I could, of course, you know, continue on forever. But okay, so to end this, again, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And hopefully no the, our audience gets a lot. I feel like we, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, and yeah, so it was it was great to be here today. So thank you for listening.